We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. podcast with a section on all of Tottenham Hotspur's trophy options this season. Okay, that's done. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Spitty. me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's our section on Tottenham Hotspur's trophy options for the season. Uh, join us next time. That section may be even shorter. Uh, they are not having the best season, but you know what? We are. We are having a great season, and as the chant goes, we are top of the league. Say we are top of the league. So, so, so much to tell you, to be grateful for, to thank you for to share with you. There's going to be a lot of content coming out about where I've been and what I've been up to, to the extent that you care about that. You may not usually, but I think you're going to in this instance, and that's going to be coming out soon. I have an unbelievably funny experience watching this match, which I'll share with you in a moment. Uh, We'll give you a little bit on what Clive's been up to, but I am now back in London. I am looking forward to seeing Clive and Tim uh, in the flesh. I don't know how much flesh I'll see, but however much flesh will be great uh, for the game on Saturday against Bournemouth. Cannot wait. And if you're going to be out and about, uh, the Tollington, I imagine, will be the spot before the game. Um, And then we'll just see how long I last. And, you know, who who knows what's going to happen from there. But so happy to be here. So happy to be, you know, just a part of this season for this club. What an incredible club it is and what an incredible season we are having. And here to discuss it with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I got to tell you, mate. Uh, it's getting better and better and better. I had a lot of fun with this game. I don't think it was fun start to finish, um, but I think there's a lot of really interesting things we can get stuck into before we go into the tactics, before we go into the first half, second half, substitutes, you know, all of that. Um, I do want to spend about 60 or 70 minutes on Martin Odegaard's <laughs> sliding tackle thing. Do, do you want yeah. to just, would you do a podcast on that and then cover the game after that or no? It's an interesting moment. I actually felt, if I'm being brutally honest, they both slid in 
while not really wanting to hit each other. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, uh, neither of those are aggressive tacklers, especially at that stage of the game. They were thinking, hold on, I've got another game in three days' time. <laughs> but then what What was really smart is that Odegaard managed to style his way out of it better than uh, Iwobi did. <laughs> so <laughs> Iwobi now has been posterized <laughs> forever and a day. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. Right? But at that point in time, the, the cigars were out. Literally, you know, so it's good fun. I'm cribbing this from the uh, Arsblog Discord, actually, but I believe that started a, a a move of 18 passes that stretched out for about a minute and 10 seconds that led to the Martinelli goal. So uh, it actually wound up being relatively important. And I, I have to admit, I'm the kind of fan who gets nervous when the fans at the stadium are doing the Olays. You know, because I'm yeah, always yeah, convinced yeah. it's it's going to end with somebody getting a, a high boot to the shin or the yeah. knee or something. But or we do yeah, something stupid night. and they score. <laughs> right? So yeah. To, to be fair, it would have driven Ramsdale and Arteta nuts in equal measure. But Ramsdale makes an extraordinary save from the ground to to keep this four yeah. nil and not four one at the end. That's so a man looking for his clean sheet bonus, right? And um, he made a double save <laughs> that you should not be making unless you're getting a nice bonus. <laughs> but to be honest, yeah. the, the mentality of the sheet is really important and I, I, mm-hmm. I know I'm a bit of a pragmatist when I talk about tactics etc but mate shut that back door never yeah. let anyone get anything if that mindset yeah. is so important to where we want to go and so yeah well, I really enjoyed that we'll talk about how we shut the back door in a bit because I, I I think sometimes in a four goal game you can forget the importance of your center backs. And I think our center backs are the two best in the league right now as a partnership. And I want to make sure we give them some love, give them their flowers as the kids say right now, but let's start just with the fact that you were at the game. Um, You've been at quite a few games this season, which has been nice Mm -hmm. and your instant reaction stuff from the ground is just brilliant. And if there's ever been a reason to sign up for Patreon, if you're able to do it, and if you're not, no big deal, the stuff you're, you're sending from the, from the ground is fantastic. Um, In terms of the, the sort of trajectory of crowd support this season. It really reached a crescendo early on, and there's no question that the crowd support's been brilliant at the Emirates all season. Are you detecting any difference as the dreams of a title start to become more real? Are you detecting attention in the crowd? Is it becoming a little more um, nervy, or or is it still as exuberant as it's been all season? Yeah, so there's the highs of Liverpool and Spurs, right? (laughs) They are. And Man United, oh crikey. (laughs) Those three games alone are worth the season ticket price. I mean, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. And for those people that went to the games and was around the around the grounds those days, they won't forget them. That's that's a certainty. Then there's the tension of Brentford and City and Newcastle, those games. That's where you felt a sort of a slight cloud come over. I think it's really just the evolution of teams watching us and wanting to stop us finding a way to stop us this what makes Leicester Villa and Everton so exciting because Elliot I have this little theory because I've been listening to people today and all the stuff we watch on Twitter like we all do we consume content after a win we consume it even more right so and everyone can see not everyone but we all we all come away from a game with something that we've seen and it's great, right? We all put it all together and we get a picture of what we're doing. But for me, what really impressed me about this team and this group is the learning environment and how quickly they solve problems. It's really quick. Let me just quote you something from the Man City game. When uh, when um, Arteta said, we lost the game in both boxes. Remember that? Mm-hmm. We lost the game in both boxes. We didn't really defend our box very well. We made mistakes in the lower end of our pitch. And we had many a chance and we didn't take them and we got 
ruthlessly taken to task by a team that had 37% possession. Yeah. Let's roll forward to Everton. How ruthless were we in their box? And how determined were we in our box to keep the clean sheet? How how another clean sheet at Leicester because we we didn't give a have a clean sheet at Villa because we were still sulking in the first half, hmm. and then we sort it out in the second half and we refined ourselves, right? So, and that quick learning and change and adaption to what was in front of us to solve the problems we've been presented with by teams that want to go long and fill in behind it and play set pieces and play football with giant men in front of us. We've solved that, haven't we? We've solved that with dexterity, five-a-side football, which I'll go into a bit later, and mm-hmm. and creativity and rotation. And that only happens from a strong learning environment where there's principles of play being put in place, but you are within those structures and principles, you are allowed to be free. It doesn't just happen. It's what we all go to work and we do what we're allowed to do. And so I got to credit the coaches for fixing this so fast. It's something that only happens in a proper sporting environment where you're allowed to learn and develop. Yeah, and I think, you know, Paul Paul phrased it this way, but I liked it. We positional played Leicester to death. Um, yeah. You know, they had the one shot in the game. It's funny, that was my first ever away day. I'll be doing some stuff on that day uh, coming up. And for those of you who have been many times, you know, I get it. Maybe to this point, it's just old hat. I know there are a lot of listeners who have never done it. I had never done it. So it's, you know, it's it's a, a different do you, experience. Do you remember it? <laughs> I, I remember pieces of it. I mean, I definitely remember the first Jaeger on the train up to Leicester. I'm not sure I remember the ones after <laughs> See, that. I know, I know some of the crowd you went with. And I know there are not many tea drinkers in that crowd. That's all I'm going to say. No, the the cans, as the kids say, on, on the ride home from the game were certainly uh, ex- excessive and, and unnecessary. But yeah, I mean... It, the this game obviously a tale of two halves i get it mm-hmm. i think there is a really important distinction between being um too patient right sterile domination right being a little too complacent how about that but being appropriately patient because it takes the defense a tremendous amount of energy and focus and concentration to sit in a low block and resist and resist and resist and yeah. i think the opening goal in this game against Everton, even if you didn't feel like it was coming, comes from a lapse of that concentration and an inability to really understand the positioning of our players as Zinchenko makes it over to the right half space, right, into Odegaard's position. Yeah. And you eventually tax them mentally so much in terms of their concentration that you find the openings. And of course, against teams that want to play a low block, that first goal is the whole thing. Because yeah. the minute that they can't sit in that low block anymore, they don't have a plan B. So I do think that the first half of this Everton game, while people maybe didn't enjoy it so much, what we were doing was wearing them down. Now, before we get to the way we wore them down and what we did well or did poorly in the first half, this is where I want to give Saliba and Gabriel credit, though. Because to to their credit, I thought Everton did a much better job than Leicester in trying to break quickly and trying to create those counters. And there were four-on-twos. There were three-on-twos. And the way Gabriel and Saliba understand each other and communicate and you drop off, you go here... Saliba's recovery pace to just take casual strides that cover so much ground and suddenly the angles aren't there. Gabriel making a, you know, a, a, a tackle, going to ground in the box, but in a controlled way. Those two have a tremendous partnership and understanding of one another. And you can't let the Dice team get the lead. 
So if you're going to be all the way in the opposition half, and if you're going to be trying to wear them down and wear them down, the one thing you can't afford to do when you're being patient is concede at the other end. So can you maybe talk a little bit about the partnership developing between Gabriel and Saliba? Because for me, they are the form center back pairing in the league. I can't say in Europe more broadly because I, I don't watch enough, but in the league for sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> again, I'm, I'm a pragmatist by heart. And I uh, you heard me say it on the podcast before. I remember the day, the first day I saw Sol Campbell and Colatori play together. And Tim was at the game, the Glasgow Rangers 2003. And I said to myself, oh, my God, this is fantastic. We're going to win. We're going to win something with these two. Yeah. And I've always had the principle that, you know, I say you're as good as your strikers, but you can't do anything about stability. And your centre-backs allow you to play where you want and allow you to feel comfortable against any strikers in the world. When you've got the right level of physicality, um, what's changed in the game now compared to what Sol Campbell used to do is that you now have to be able to play like midfielders with a ball at your feet. That wasn't the case back then. We just wanted people to stop people, right? So the game has evolved. And they give you a level of comfort and they Saliba's more the sweeper. Gabriel goes in, he goes fishing for contacts occasionally, but they can both do the other job. And I thought Saliba was much better in the air last night. I know he wasn't playing Calvert-Lewin or Ivan Tony, he was, he was playing against Mope, but I saw confidence and I saw a jumping power in him and he was sending the ball back in the air as if to say, I need to send a message because people are picking on me in the air, I need to send a message that I'm not going to be picked on. Right, so... yeah. That was really important. And for, for Arsenal, because we like to rotate and move and create our two, three, five, the two at the back, they cannot be physically uncomfortable in big spaces. And and that's exactly what we have. So we now can push up the pitch. And you can, all the listeners know what I'm going to say now. We push up the pitch. We can play in the right areas. And we can do what we do, right? And so they are the key. Now, there are other players we've had in our back line over the last few years. And that cannot play in the areas by which we play. They cannot. And so what they do is they drop off. You drop off, and then you have a bigger space to manage, and that and that uncovers the lack of running power in others. If you don't get to the ball, you get run past. And we look at those players and say, well, they can't play. You know, I'm thinking of Granit Xhaka, for example. You put him in a smaller space, a different area of the pitch, and suddenly we find the player. It's, the, it's how we play the system the distance from front to back and what we expect from players in different zones of the pitch that really define you. And um, so when you look at a player, you critique a player, look at how they're being asked to play first. Um, and also have a look at the room by which they're, they're in, Elliot. Sometimes you walk into a room and your skill set just not suit that room. You go to another room and that team needs everything that you have and you become a hero. And it's that, that's the life of a professional footballer. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that the person walking into the room right now with his chest puffed out saying, I'm the leader here, is Alexander Zinchenko for me. Mm. You know, I was watching this game with some people that know football quite well um, mm -hmm. and do some coaching and things like that. And mm -hmm. as an aside, a very, very, very funny viewing experience because I was um, not in London, not at home, uh, in a far-flung location that there'll be a lot more about that to come. But yeah. We watched this game on my laptop, plugged into a TV on a stream with NordVPN running so I could watch. So by the way, <laughs> there's the hashtag advert because without Nord, we wouldn't have been able to watch the game. And it was in a nightclub and they were setting up for the party the next night. So right. we watched the game with like strobe lights and 
music with bass so rich it was like rumbling your stomach and it was like <laughs> the strangest viewing experience imaginable but just the the oohs and ahs at the way Zinchenko plays the game and the freedom he has to move and obviously the the system gives Zinchenko the freedom to do that ultimately it is where he moves to that creates the first goal and it's Bukayo Saka brilliance and Wakamana Saka but how do you think about the the role that Zinchenko has developed into this team it, you know we once upon a time said Party is the one player we can't replace. We'll talk about that too, to be yeah, fair. But <laughs> we will. Zinchenko is looking like a player we have no analog for because I I don't know that anyone has the appreciation of space that he has. The thing that blows me away is whoever has the football, Zinchenko's three yards from him and yeah. wherever that is. And it, it's it's genius for Mikel to see this evolution, but it takes a genius player to be able to fit into that vision. So Am I overegging this here? Do you, do you no, see Zinchenko as becoming this this influential? So you have to look at the, you have to look at the team almost in different categories, right? So you have your players and you have your enablers. So you you mentioned Sleeper and, and Gabriel. So your mindset goes to the big tackles, the big moments, the big passes. But if they're not able to cover big spaces, then Zinchenko can't be free. He can't roam because how? Why would he do that? Because he's leaving a big space for Gabriel to get slaughtered in right so and so again Ben White's an enabler you know for the right hand side because he can cover big distances he can get up to support Saka just underlap him overlap him on two or three occasions again that's all he needs just create that create that jeopardy you know and um but he's there on that right hand side for the diagonal to support sleeper when he gets dragged over so these players allow this guy who basically is number 10 that starts at left back and so everything you're seeing at it, it's not system-based, it's it's player-based. This player plays like this, whether he's playing at left back, whether he's playing in centre mid, whether he's playing left centre mid, whether he's playing number 10. It doesn't matter. He has attributes when the ball comes into his feet. And so it comes back to creativity and freedom of expression. How do you coach that? Or do you make sure you have the right player that does that naturally? Because I'm sure there are listeners out there, there are players that, like me, quite agricultural, that do things more off the ball. And there are other players that can't wait to touch the ball. You know, they just want the ball. Get to me. Yeah. It's natural to them. It's not natural to me. I just want to smash somebody. But it's natural to them, right? It's natural to them. How many touches can I get? Get to me. In fact, they're, they're upset when they don't have the ball. So they move to go and get it. So if you can create a framework for those players, then you maximize them. And I did read that it was Arteta's idea to put Sinchenko at left, nominal left back at City. And it makes you wonder, because I know we've got Jesus, he's in our distant memories, but the one City missed the most is probably Sinchenko. You know? And, well, with Cancelo gone, for sure, right? Because yeah, oh, they're playing Bernardo Silva there. Yeah, and they've got a young kid that's coming there to, to invert from the right-hand side, Enrico Lewis. But I don't care, mate. None of them are as good as this guy. None of them bring what he brings, you know. And um, yeah, he he has taught me, and the, the the system of how he's used, he has taught me something I just did not know existed in the game. Just not seen it this way, not felt it this way, not seen him pop up like he's come out of the grass, just in different areas. Right? What's he doing over there? And when he gets there, everything freezes because his ability to control the ball while looking at the defense just freezes a defender they're thinking what's he going to do now he's not even got his head down 
and he, he just he just picks your pocket, right? And it's 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 beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. It really is. I, I do wonder if he's having an influence on both Odegaard and Shaka to some extent because he's coming to the game so much. But I feel like in the first half in particular, recently I, we've sort of lost Odegaard in some first halves um, that he's struggled to be influential in. And and Shaka, you know, again, I, this is the age old debate because you see what he does off the ball and how he presses and how he recovers, but you also see the edge of the box moments where Martinelli's making a darting run or, or Trissard's, you know, running off the shoulder or coming in and wanting to play the one, two and, and the, I don't know if it's speed of feet or speed of thought isn't quite there. I think what was interesting, you know, I heard a couple of people say this, but that Shaka actually looked a bit frustrated with himself in this me. game. <laughs> yeah. Was it, was it you? Yeah, was it, it was you me. who said it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you, right. In your, in your instant reaction audio. Um, I knew it was someone I have a great deal of respect for. I can't remember which one of those people it was. Um, I, you, you know, I'm glad you said that cause I was going to credit it to Paul and that would have driven you just through the roof. But, um, <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine what you would have given me? Um, but no, I, and I thought that was a really interesting point you made because he is a player who demands so much of himself and demands so much of his teammates and has given so much for so long. I'm sure he knows when he's in the half space and someone's making a darting run and he hasn't released it quite on time or whatever the case may be. He he wants to be delivering at the highest level. But I even think there's a little of that with Odegaard. So do, do you think Zinchenko's freedom of movement and where he pops up and demanding of the ball maybe requires the other players to sort of evolve in their in their understanding with him? How do you think about what we're doing at the eights in particular on the left-hand side. Can I just take it back a little bit earlier? I think I had a very good view of the game last night. And what I will say to you is what stood out to me massively was how on point everybody was and how present they were in the moment. They were so engaged, nobody looking the wrong way, everyone pointing and clicking and coaching and encouraging Everybody on message. I mean, you'd have thought it was the World Cup semi-final. It was, everybody was on it. And when they weren't on it, they were visibly upset with themselves, you know? Mm. And Granit Xhaka, I mean, there's been times when he's kicked it in the car park and not not even worried and just clapped his hands and said, come on, lads, next one. Do you know what I mean? But yesterday, the, some of the passing was so crisp. But when it was off, and I mean, well, not massively off, I'm talking half a yard off, the standards by which they're holding themselves and the standards by which the manager holds them, and I was sitting right behind him, are huge. You'd have thought we were losing 4-0 rather than winning 4-0. All the way through that second half, we were absolutely on it, looking for better standards, higher. And it's the first time I've ever seen Granit Xhaka sort of lose a bit of spirit. I'm not sure if, I, don't, I want to make sure I describe this correctly, and people may have a different view to me. But I felt he lost a bit of spirit and he was really frustrated with himself, in particular in the offensive areas of the pitch. And it'd be very interesting to hear other people read that. It's a bit of a body language thing. and But I saw it clearly and he, and he came off and he wasn't happy with himself. And it's interesting to see how that develops. Odegaard, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about because he's, he's more of a... He's a free spirit as well. So it's almost like with Zinchenko and Odegaard, you have two that are just buzzing around, two blonde assassins out there just taking the ball on their left foot and can total control of it and are happy to, to pause, to go, to carry, to clip, to switch. They've got all the clubs, mate, in their bag and can de- deliver. 
one's more of a goal scorer than the other, one's more of a last mm. pass guy. And that's where we are. And so what it does, it makes the next guy, this is a real challenge, it makes the third guy, I'm, it makes it a hard fit. So that player automatically becomes an enabler. He becomes yeah. a glue guy. And so we can't, we've got to look at these glue guys with the same rosy eyes as the guys that do all the flashy stuff, the coif tackles, because they can't do that without the glue guys. And I'm trying not to fall into the trap of really killing the guy that has a solid, solid, quiet game because it's about the group. It's about the 11. Do you know what I mean? And, um, but I did see a frustration with Shaka. Odegaard, I'm not worried about him, mate. He's, uh, absolutely fine on that side and he's connecting to the guy which i'm sure you're going to talk to <laughs> a little bit later <laughs> yeah yeah no it's not and i mean look odegaard scored a goal he had a brilliant mm. moment in the match that we already covered I, I think he's doing brilliantly i think um it is a natural tendency no matter how well your team is playing to be thinking what would the next area of improvement be yeah the danger with that though is that may lead to not improvement. It may lead to the opposite, right? It may it may lead to to, to something being lost. Yeah. Uh, you have to be careful about thinking that way. But like, if you think back to last season with Lacazette, we were playing quite well with Lacazette at center forward, but we could see that there was something missing there, and we yeah. could see that it was maybe holding us back. And by the time we opted to change it, it had taken its toll a bit, right? By the time Enkedia came in, we had lost a few games. On the, on the trot, and it, it became yeah. a problem for us. And then Kenny came in and gave us something that we'd been missing. Um, and so I do think that you always want to be careful about not destabilizing a team that's playing well, but not waiting until you pay for the deficiencies that you may be seeing in the team. And, and I will be very curious to see how this evolves because I do think Mikel Arteta has been glowing in his praise for Vieira most of the season. I don't think Vieira has been universally excellent every time he's come on. But that substitution is becoming a fairly regular one. Now, you know, there's horses for courses, right? He's either coming on when we're chasing the game and need more attacking impetus, or he's coming on when the game is well in hand. And, and those are different circumstances. But I, I, I am kind of curious with this Bournemouth game coming up, will we see a Vieira from the start? With Europa League coming back, players are going to share games. And the one thing I'm confident of at this point is that Mikel trusts Vieira to let him have a game. I'll just be curious whether it'll be in the Premier League or he'll wait till, you know, one of the sporting um, t uh, legs of that tie. So it'll be, I'll be curious to see how that evolves. Um, and, and he's had a couple of good cameos in the last few games and was very influential. And, and the thing we know also is he's best friends with Martinelli and, you yeah. know, the way they look for each other, the way they come to life. It, it, it's redolent a little bit of what Martinelli had with Jesus just in terms of that understanding and that partnership. Um, and we'll come on to the second half because that was a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, you, you have to be able to enjoy football when it gives you something fun. If you don't enjoy what we did in the second half, you're really, really missing out. But um, Can just I just go quickly, back to that a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. with mm -hmm. Vieira? Yeah, please. Because I think, because I get seduced by by the skill sets. and Yeah, but, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Yeah, I, I, mate, I do. I watched him last <laughs> night. You know, the, I, watched, I watched Shaka have a, a difficult 10 minutes or so. And Vieira comes on, ball comes to his feet. He literally does a, a shoulder shake and the whole Everton defence just stood still while he passed through. <laughs> and all he's done is receive the ball, but his ability, natural ability to manipulate, manipulate an angle, it comes easy to him because that's his skill set. However, Everton got a quite physical midfield three. 
of Idrissa Gay, Anana, and Decore, right? Off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that's right. And they're they're big boys, right? They're, they're strong, they're physical, they can transition. And we struggled early against the transition because they're reading our interior passes and they were running through us onto the back two and we, and we got away with it. If we think in this universe, in this English Premier League, we can roll out with Jorginho, Vieira and Odegaard, then we really are only thinking about one game state, which is when we're in charge and when we're on the ball about to play the final pass. But there are many game states and there are many challenges in a, in a, in a football match. And you have to go with the punches to allow yourself to play. And the players like Party and Shaka allow you to do that. And also they can play a bit. And I think we have to take this game by game, maybe even half by half, as to what suits the opponent we're playing with, right? So having the option is the key probably, Elliot. That's probably the, the summary, the best summary line. Yeah, look, there are performances that sometimes rubbish a narrative, and nothing rubbished a narrative faster than Thomas Party's second half performance for the people that want to say Jorginho should maybe take his place. Like, and by the way, I don't I don't think anybody said that with disrespect to the season party's having, but what he brings to the team was on display in that second half. And that pass he makes to Inkedia, um, you know, running through just sort of out. I think it was outside of the boot, over the top, curls right onto his foot, unbelievable stuff. But we, we got to talk Bukayo Saka. It's, it's probably too late in the podcast to be getting to this. It's not that he scores goals. It's not that he, he creates goals. It's that he scores winning goals. He scores opening goals. He scores goals to get us back level. He's the person you have to have. If you remember, Clive, one of the things we talked about a lot when we were kind of down in the dumps was how you need a force of nature player. Who's your force of nature player? Who's the player that imposes himself on the opposition to an extent that they they cannot do much about it? Look at the goal he scores against United. That's a force of nature player. Yeah. Very few players score that in that game, in that situation. And without that, we don't win that game. Yeah. And he's been doing that all season long. And I love where Zinchenko pops up. It confuses the Everton defense. They go to sleep a little bit. It's really funny. If you look at the still shot right before Zinchenko plays the ball to Saka, Martinelli's on the right wing. He's making a run. Uh, I think, yeah, he's making a run. Yeah. Saka's found space in the box. And I think Odegaard's dropped into sort of like the top of the D space. And they're all pointing to their feet. So there's a, there's yeah. an awesome there's an awesome screenshot of Zinchenko on the ball and three Arsenal players in space at the top of the box all pointing to their feet, all wanting the ball, calling for it. But he does go to Saka, opens his body, turns on it, finds the inside of the near post. That I mean, it's a finish that he's he's done a few times this season. But that sets us on our way. And then, oh, by the way, if skill isn't enough, what about the graft to take the ball off of, is it Adrissa Gay? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, for the Martinelli goal, he's showing everything you have to have to be a force of nature player. You can't just do the cute, fun stuff. you gotta, you got to put in the work. He does it. And then you see his Sky Sports interview at the end where they tell him about the table and he does just sort of adorable laugh. And he's like, yeah, well, it is what it is. I guess we go game by game. He really has it all. He's totally unflappable. But there's something about his personality that I almost think leads people to underrate his 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 hunger and his skill. But this this game just really showed he's our force of nature player. He's the one that that can set us apart when when we need it. He's the first one over the top, right? Every every game, he's the first one, and yeah, and it has been for a long time. And he's prepared to shoulder that responsibility. So, you know, for a twenty-one-year-old to have that responsibility and 
accepting the accountability to lead the team in goals and assists or get close to it. Player of the year, two years on, and he's already he's only just 21. I said on the instant that he's the best player Arsenal's ever produced. And there are people will be shouting Liam Brady. Some will be shouting Ashley Cole under their breath. Um, Jack Wilshire. I, 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 they're all great players for Arsenal. And um, But I'm sorry, in the modern game and how we expose players and what we ask of them and social media and how the microscope by which they live, I mean, that's the greatest player Arsenal have ever produced. Um, I'll say it this way. At this age, the only player I've seen play for Arsenal who at this age was near this level or at this level, I'll just say it, was Cesc Fabregas. Yeah, and, and, and he joined the club at 15, 16, so he didn't join the club at eight, right? So, yep. And so he's a total role model in example. So I was speaking to someone at the ground last night and um, I, I said to her, there are so many Arsenal fans that you meet that support the club because of people like Thierry Henry and Ian Wright. Can you imagine the generation of Arsenal fans right now being born as we speak or choosing Arsenal as their club because of Bukayo Saka? Because he is the absolute full package. You know, come for the academy, spotless all the way through, puts in the work, a successful academy career, come through the levels very, very quickly done the right thing from from his education perspective. So he's an example to all the young scholars, all the young people at Hayland. It's not just about football. You've got to do your schoolwork as well. Right? So he, he's he's sharp on his schoolwork. He's a total, total package. He gets into Arsenal's first team at a time when we're not at our best. He accepts responsibility, delivers for the Arsenal first team, takes us up the league from eighth to, to fifth, and potentially who knows what's coming next plays for his country, shoulders responsibility, misses a penalty in the final, comes back two minutes later, and then starts delivering, taking penalties in big games, which shows the mentalities there. I mean, I'm I'm struggling, mate. There isn't anything to say, is there, negative about him. And I don't think these players come along very often. There was, I listened to Amy do a podcast the Athletic this week, and she spoke about him with the same tones as David Rowcastle and you know David Rowcastle had this glow and aura about him because of the person that he was you know and that's why people saw seeing his name many many years later it is a huge compliment to him if he's if he's spoken of in those terms and from footballing perspective he could he, he's going to go beyond him right and that is special and I hope you keep tissues by your listening device when you listen to this podcast because in a future episode, you're going to be hearing about what he means to some people in another part of the world and there's oh not going to be a dry eye in the, in the room. So, yeah, I mean, uh, just just a, an extraordinary player, but, like, it, it's it's interesting. We were having a debate on this trip I was on. If we could win the league this season and next season, but Bukayo Saka would leave this summer, or we could win the league this season and not win it next season, but Bukayo Saka stays, which would you choose? And you think it's obvious, just, you know, take the titles. To a person, everyone that I was around said, I'd give up next season's title if it meant Bukayo Saka stays. That yeah. he he feels almost more, more fundamental to who we are and to the joy we get from football right now and to the unity we have as a club um, than having that title. And I'm sure there's some people listening being like, rubbish, it's about titles, mate. Like, you know, players come and go. But 
you know, this, remember this presupposed we won this one this season. So, you know, we'd be in a pretty good, we'd be in a pretty good place regardless. Um, I think we should touch on Martinelli coming back to us a little bit as well. His form has come back and there's just something about Martinelli scores, scoring goals puts a smile on my face. You know, I, I adore Martinelli and Saka. It's like saying, which one of your children do you like better? It, it, it's not a, a question you can answer. Saka is clearly the better player at the moment, but Martinelli is an important player with a very high players. ceiling himself. They're different players, for sure. Um, I love Martinelli's finish. And, but can, I, can I just say something? Can we stop for a second here? Yeah, not cut. stop recording. Just to stop the flow. <laughs> I'm glad VAR gave us that goal, but what's the linesman putting his flag up for? Well, like, I think he did not put it up after the ball gone in the net. Which I hope he did. He, he, he did, did, but I'm saying, like, you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah, I and I mean, look, they gave us a goal. I don't know why I'm upset yeah. about, it, but it's just sort of like, <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, look, Martinelli's been given some freedom to move around, and some of the reason he has the freedom to move around is he has a player who will move around with him. And I think in Trossard, he's he's gotten back a little bit of that that player to play off of, to spark off of, to flip around with and move around with. Um that he didn't have. And I love that Enkedia came in as a substitute and created a goal for Martinelli swapping places and, you know, being a little bit more uh, creative and varied in, in his movement. So a lot of good stuff in this game, but it was important that we got Martinelli back. We have, and, and I do think Trissard deserves credit for being, for being a part of that. So, and, and that means the manager deserves credit for seeing, you know what, it's not, there's anything wrong with Enkedia, but I need to bring more people back into the game. And, and this is a way to do it. Troussard's looking like a brilliant signing and Martinelli, I'm sure will be thanking him for helping return him. So how do you think about Martinelli coming back and the way that's connected to, to Troussard's inclusion and, and reinvigorating the left-hand side of the attack. Yeah, well, the, the collaboration's back, right? We the four tops are back mm. together. Right? We got four players that are just moving. And if you have a three plus one, I think there are limits to that. If you have a almost like a diamond four that's rotating up front, and you have one coming through to make five, and that's normally Shaka that runs through to collapse people and move people. We want him almost like a he's almost like a big body decoy that runs through lines at inside, outside half space and crosses or he gets shots uh, good across shots. And but he's important to distract, you know. So I, I often think, you know, for this system, could you ma- and I was never a fan of this player, I said it before, I'm never a huge fan of this player. But I could see what he could do really well, and, I, and he he could run, and that was Aaron Ramsey. Could you imagine Aaron Ramsey in his system running through, joining attacks, sneaking up on mm-hmm. shoulders, being there for a one-two? He actually lives for that moment to run forward when he smells something. That's probably the development for this role. You know, a, a six-footer that can smell it, run through, join in, off the ball runner, but can carry. That's the development. And so the collaboration of that group, Trossard just does it naturally. Again, he's he's happy inside and out. When we bought him, he played left wing back, he's played left side, he's played false nine, he's played number 10, he's played right side. So straight away, he joins the, the group. And I, I have this, one of my football theories is that winger forwards are the future. So Jesus is a, a wing forward, you know, and mm. Saka is the same, you know, Martinelli the same, Trossard the same. And so when people were saying to me that when Eddie was playing out on the left wing, I was really pleased about that. Because that's where he needs to develop. And Mm -hmm. and before Balogun went on loan to Middlesbrough, he spent his youth year playing left side of the front 
side of the pitch, almost developing his carrying skills, his wing forward skills. That's do, what we want. Do you remember Arsene Wenger? Arsene Wenger used to love to play young forwards out on the wing and yeah. young players out on the wing because he, he felt that they'd see the game differently and, and have to learn to develop skills. I remember we used to lament Nick Bentner on the wing, but like, yeah. you know, Arsene had a, had a similar philosophy. You've got to be able to carry it. You've got to be able to carry the football. And it was really interesting last night because I was sitting behind Arteta and there was a period in the game. There's two periods in the game had it when I saw him lose his nut a little bit. It's when Kieran Tierney carried the ball and he, he overcarried it and got dispossessed. And when Eddie carried the ball and he got smashed and got actually got injured, he carried it into contact. He wants carriers, but he wants commitment and to pop it off. So you take people out, you pop around the other side, you create a dog leg in the line, and that's how you break through disorganized defenses, right? But you've got to be able to carry. got to be able to carry and move people. And almost every one of our team does that really, really well. But the, the ones that don't, I can see him get angry about it. You know, and it's quite interesting to see that. And we were falling up at the time, you know. So like, um, mm -hmm. and so again, Dimchenko, classic example: the way he carries the ball laterally, then cuts through, and he cuts out four people with one carry and pass, and four people are gone. We roll off the front line, turn around, we're on the back four. You know, so that ability to shake these coaches' defenses is so important. So important, mate. Everton were really organised, Elliot. Their, their front-to-back mm. space was really tight and they had a plan and we broke it with individual brilliance on the ball, finishing in the box and that's what really broke them. Yeah, and frankly, a willingness to trust our centre-backs to clean up if they did find a way past us. Um, I want to get to the halftime sub and, and the party Jorginho thing. I think it is a really interesting discussion, but I do want to mention that like for some organizations you can't have a successful business unless you're good on the pitch but for others you can't have an organization that's successful unless you're successful in e-commerce and that is something you can achieve with shopify uh shopify is a brand that i love because i've used it i've started a lot of e-commerce websites and shopify makes it simple there's a couple of things about shopify that i really like first of all you kind of have to show up on social media now if you're going to sell things and so shopify just allows you to sell on instagram on tiktok on Twitter and, and Facebook and all of that. They build your shop for Instagram and, and Facebook and, and really integrate it and make it easy. You can build a really slick professional website. Let's face it. I'm not going to shop from an e-commerce site, like from a website, if it looks kind of hokey. It needs to look legit because if I'm going to spend my money with it, I, I want to feel like I'm buying from a legit organization. So if you need a website to sell something, Shopify just lets you drag and drop, create beautiful um e-commerce websites, they take care of the payment processing, they can even take care of the shipping, they take care of the taxes and all of that stuff in one place. So it really is um, just a, a wonderful solution for your e-commerce site and, and will allow you to uh, be up and running on whatever platform you want to be. And I say that as someone who has used it, so there's that. And I say that as someone who has gone to some really major websites and been pretty shocked uh, to see that like these global giant organizations are using Shopify as their e-commerce platform. So uh, go there now, go to Shopify, and uh, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash arsenalvision, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsenalvision to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash arsenalvision. Sometimes someone says, you know, okay, we want to be a, a sponsor of the podcast. And provided that it's not something that we find objectionable, say, okay, that's great. Doesn't mean I've necessarily ever tried it or believe in it. Sometimes it means I've tried it and I love it. 
it's so funny because as I sit here, it is my job to tell you about NordVPN right now, and it literally saved my butt so I could watch this game. And whatever it is I'm spending on NordVPN, had I missed this game, uh, I would have regretted it, and it would be worth whatever I spent on NordVPN. It allowed me to VPN from the area of the world I was in back to the States so I could watch um, this game in sparkling high-definition See every beautiful moment of it, including the Cruyff slide tackle, which is a new thing that Martin Odegaard invented. Um, you know, see Dyche get the hammering that he deserved. It, it is a wonderful, easy service to use. Apps for Mac and PC, apps for Android and, and iOS. You just tap, you quick connect to the region you want to be, and boom, you're browsing in that region. It also does have threat protection, though, so it keeps any spyware and intrusive ads and malware from getting on your computer. And like, look, if you do need to find a stream for a game, and sometimes we have to go to a stream that is not the stream that you'd necessarily want to be watching because you're worried what it's putting on your computer in the background. Nord's not only going to you know, let you browse in the area you want to be, but browse safely. So I uh, can't say enough good things about Nord. Really happy that it allowed me to watch the game the other day. So uh, real quick, what you can do if you want to sign up using our link, nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, you'll receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and a month free. But you do get a 30-day risk-free trial. So if you don't like it, you just cancel it and forget the whole thing happened. If you needed to try it for like one specific trip you're going on, you could try it. But I have a feeling you're going to stick around with it. Again, two uh, discount on a two-year plan, one month free, 30-day risk-free trial. NordVPN.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Again, that link is NordVPN.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Clyde, is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. Um, I... Love. Clive has written in the message, please send me that link on WhatsApp. Clive. <laughs> forward slash Arsenal. You, again, you make the mistake that I actually listen to you. You must not keep making that mistake. <laughs> maybe, maybe you found that finally I have something to contribute to value thanks to Nord. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I think this, this is such an interesting halftime swap because what it tells me is like, first of all, parties being eased back in. I bet this was planned. I don't think this was a reaction to our first half performance. I mean, we're 2-0 up at halftime. Maybe we didn't expect to be there from the first 40 minutes, which were a bit of a slog, but we're 2-0 up. You don't have to bring him in. I think this was planned. I don't think it's a disrespect to Jorginho, who's on the wrong side of 30. We want to keep him fresh. We're going to need yeah. him in Europe. Party, we're going to need him. We want to make sure he's fresh and firing. But the, the performance he made was a statement a statement of intent, a reminder of the things, and Jorginho has been brilliant, and we're not where we are right now if we hadn't signed him. But Party can do some things that other players can't. I mentioned the past to Nketiah was brilliant, but the way he just steps past players, the tempo with which the ball gets released and finds players, he was imperious in the second half. And if Jorginho is good, that makes us better, and Party is still just another level up from that. He was He was breathtaking. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's quite interesting because I love I love football so much, and I love studying fans and um and what and there was loads of there were loads of diagrams going around around how many progressive passes Jorginho played versus party blah blah blah, and and then suddenly you're you're thrust into reality of a big striding Everton midfield nicking the ball on the transition and suddenly reality strikes and all those pretty diagrams don't really mean much right because if your centre mid is caught too high and he's, he's running back like he's got rigor mortis I'm sorry you show me a diagram that covers that right so um, and so basically um, it has been said that Georgina wasn't feeling very well he was the only person didn't yeah. didn't start the game well but again we're learning, aren't we? 
really quickly. So the guy that we rushed back for the North London derby that that broke down on Spurs' second or third goal. Remember that game earlier? Um, mm-hmm. And came off and we lost him for two, three months and we ended up throwing away many points that season. That rubbish is gone. We take our time bringing him back in. And Thomas Party must have been looking at all the tweets saying how many progressive par- parties that Junior's made mm-hmm. compared to him. Because he came on, pulled up his socks and said, all right, I'm going to show you like, what this game is all about. So when teams what we do really well, when teams come off the side, they go wide like we do, empty the middle, go wide, and they chop inside. Thomas Party just throws a blanket over that, said, cheers, I'll have the ball, thanks, and um, puts them on the ground, and then just strides away from them, and starts us off. So he covers the sides, both sides. When he gets the ball in the middle, we all know what's happening. But he decided, he decided in the second half to show us that he can dink it, he can clip it, and he's got he's got all the passes. So I think... On the way home, in one of those classic train podcasts where there's loads of guys eating fried chicken and drinking beer on the train and discussing the game, um, everybody was saying, oh, I think we should save Jorginho for Europe. He's a bit slower in Europe. Let's <laughs> save him for Thursday. <laughs> we've, we've all dropped him in our mind, and it just shows you how fickle we all are, right? So, um, But joking aside, I thought Party should have started this game in my mind, but I don't know how fit he was. I thought Everton were quite physical. It didn't matter in the end. We got a two and a half time. Party came on and just said, "By the way, I, I'm I'm the man here," and um, that's the end of that. <laughs> as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. And and like him being the man doesn't mean Jorginho is invaluable. And some we're gonna we're gonna need him. Gonna He's need gonna him. be important. He's already been important. Yeah. Um. But you know, he he did add something that is unique to what he can do, and it was it was really great to see because it is important to be reminded of the levels of these players. I mean. It wasn't so long ago people were saying, does Jesus get his place back from Inkedia when he's fit? Yeah. Right? I mean, fo- football moves very, very quickly, and you have to constantly be prepared to update your priors, but also maybe not up to update them too quickly. Um, I, I really look at this second half as a statement of intent. Mm. This was a statement of intent. If you think back to the Invincibles, and look, the Invincibles had quite a lot of draws. So I, I you know, I don't want to rewrite history, but there were games they'd struggle for a little bit, right? 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then they'd figure it out and they would destroy your soul, rip your soul from your body, and leave you wishing you weren't on the pitch with them. Yeah. And at 2 0, when we started to cook, Everton would have shaken our hands and walked off that pitch and been happy to be gone at 2 0. And we played some football where we nearly scored. The third, the fourth, the fifth. The, I mean, there were moves that led to cutbacks that were just cut out. I love Trissard's cutback for Odegaard's goal, but there were a number of moments like that all throughout the second half. Patterns of play that were just extraordinary where they couldn't get near the ball. Um, Odegaard really coming to life and dripping quality on the ball. And they 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 were chasing shadows. Yeah. It was a statement of intent for me. And I think the Leicester game and this game are a statement of intent in two different ways. We went to a Leicester team that is known for its attacking, you know, that has some talent. I Granted, Madison wasn't there, but set that aside. And we restrict them to a single shot in the whole game and strangle them like a boa constrictor. And then we take this Everton team where, you know, Arteta's record against Dice and blah, blah. And what do we do? We poke and we prod and we poke and we prod and we open the door and we flood through it and just stomp on them. And it's what, you know, when you think about Manchester City, how we th- think about Manchester City, oh, they come up against that minnow and what do they do? They're just going to just steal their soul. We did that against Everton. And if there's one thing people have been saying, well, low blocks, Arsenal can't figure out a low block and they're going to have to find goals. And I think this was a really important performance in the second half, Clive, 
because teams that may think about playing a low block against us, they're going to look at this second half and say, there's no answer for what Arsenal do. And they're going to, you know, when the Invincibles lined up in the tunnel, the other team looked beaten. They looked beaten before they walked out. These are the kinds of halves of football that are going to have a team like Bournemouth coming to the Emirates on Saturday, just not wanting to get embarrassed. Absolutely. Not, you know, if we're if we're compact, if we get on a low block, maybe there's something there for us. This Arsenal team, you know, there's something there. No, they're going to watch that second half and they're going to say, how quick can we get out of the Emirates and how safe can we be doing that? So I thought this was a real statement of intent. Clive, how important do you think that kind of thing is for our team mentally and for the other teams that have to come to the Emirates or, you know, see us coming and know, hey, if you're not careful, you're going to get embarrassed by this team because you cannot live with what they do. I think it's, um, I've, I've been watching City lately, Elliot, and because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's important <laughs> to watch them. It, t- it turns out, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm afraid that people like Phil Foding are finding their form. So I was getting a little bit, oh no, get a little bit worried. We got to send a good message, and we did, right? So we reacted to what they did. I know they played Bristol City the other day, and I watched them, they looked really quite good. And But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, Something happened last night. I know I didn't really answer your question about the stadium really, really well, actually, but something happened last night. Well, you said more important stuff. That's how this yeah, podcast yeah. I ask you a question, then you say something that's more valuable. <laughs> but I will say to you, you know, I thought I sensed a level of belief develop, you know, real belief. That was most of the games, they take it out of me, they empty my soul emotionally. It, it didn't, this game. I felt, okay nervy but okay and I think a lot of people felt like this was really enjoyable but it wasn't draining it wasn't draining it, we can't be drained emotionally it wasn't overly draining Gary Neville's been talking about this and I agree with him that up to a point he thinks it's all a bit frantic and a bit hectic but Aston Villa was one thing that was just exciting. We needed that win badly. But I thought Leicester was different. I thought it was controlled. I mean, you were there. You would have felt it. I thought it was controlled. But also, afterwards, the team were nice and controlled. They just clapped the fans, and they weren't overly excited. And I felt again last night, they did their job. They weren't overly excited. They enjoyed their job, and they were all on point. And I think the crowd was really up for it. And they were up for it because that's what we do now at home that's what we do this is what happens we support we get behind people when they make mistakes we sing their names when they make mistakes this is what we do and that identity is first and foremost it's not going away we don't want it to be taken apart we don't want to be divided we want to enjoy this because we don't know how long it's going to last we've spent a long time watching people with the wrong motivations to play for the football club that we all love and they weren't there for the right reasons. When I looked at that team last night, regardless if a few passes were going out the wrong, going out the wrong area, I'm not quite on point. I didn't care because I look at the reaction, the reaction to the players to stop making a mistake, and the reaction to the fans that are trying to connect to the players. I looked to the reactions of the coaches trying to cajole those players, and everything I saw was on point and and joined up and aligned. And when you start to see that break, then we have a problem. Then we have a problem podcast, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? And and there isn't one at the moment. And the fans are there. I'm, you know, again, me and you, or you more than me, is a bit of a worrier. And uh, 
Saturday is heading what? up. <laughs> Who, me, Whiskers? <laughs> Saturday is heading up, and I don't know any Arsenal fan doesn't think we're going to win by less than three goals. So that worries me straight away because word complacency comes into my mind. If we can, we can, we can manage to face down complacency, we're going to be in a good spot, right? We're going to be in a good spot. So it should be hopefully, Elliot, be a good day on Saturday. Yeah, um, I, I, th- I think. I'm not even going to say anything about Saturday. I don't, I just, <laughs> I, it's going to be a good day. I mean, look, any day you get to be at the ground watching the Arsenal, it's a good day, you know, because you're with great people. I can't wait to see everybody. I can't wait to be at the Tollington. I can't wait to sing the songs. Um, learned a few new ones on the away day, some of the ones they don't teach you, <laughs> you know, in the, in the regular classes. Um, I will say from the experience I've had this week traveling, I can't believe the class of this club you know, I, we, we know we support a great club and there's a lot of classy things about this club and a lot of things about this club you should be proud of. Going to have a chance to share some things that this club is about that I don't want to talk about right now because I'll get all uh, I'll get all soppy and emotional. And I don't want to do that yet, but um, just, a, just a wonderful organization, an organization that deeply, deeply cares about its mission for its, for its supporters, for its players, but also just as stewardship in the world. So we'll, we'll definitely get to that in a bit. Um, there were there are a few bits and pieces here. I mean, I think Smith Rowe coming on, you know, we should talk about that a little bit. Mm. He's a player that maybe as fans we've forgotten, I'm sure. Mikel hasn't forgotten him, I'm sure. You know, the the club is excited to have him back. I wouldn't say his touch was flawless, but just the thing you see with Smith Rowe is what happens when he gets on. He's at the six-yard box trying to smash goals, and he's running, <laughs> running onto the ball in the box. He just has a way of always being there for the final kick that's needed to to finish off a move and it didn't happen for him in this game but it's great to see him getting into those positions um and we also saw Tierney and and I thought it was funny because Tierney came on and he drops into the Zinchenko role and he's playing in central midfield but within about two minutes whereas he's around the outside by the touchline putting in crosses because like at some level you are what you are any thoughts on on the the Smithrow and Tierney cameos because I think I think Smithrow could be very very important for us I think Tierney is a tricky one because you don't want to lose the person, but the player is feeling increasingly like an awkward fit for what we do. It's, um, they've been sitting on the sidelines now, both of them for different reasons for quite a long time. And the team is evolving very, very quickly. It's been forced to evolve, Elliot, because everyone's watching us. And so we have to evolve our tactics, right? The spaces are getting smaller. All those coaches at planned sessions the phrase SSG, we basically play small sided game football. Right? That's literally what we what we do. We we, we just have a, a, a group that rotates and moves in small spaces because teams are squeezing us and they're squeezing us and they're shuffling out wide. They're doubling up in wide areas to make sure we can't come back into the interior. When we do, we could, we have to do things in small spaces. Trossard's playing well. Elliot, small space player, right? Receives it really well, touches perfect. Can, twist and turn in two in two inches of space and he's got two footy technique oh he looks good he looks good because of the game states we're playing smith Rowe, i think could develop into our game state because the way he receives the ball he receives it beautifully he has a mm-hmm. simple picture and he turns he wants to run he can run off the ball first phase but he can also carry the ball and he can arrive so he's got potential Kieran naturally, just a natural way his body is, he wants to play out and big and long and strong. And he's a bounding player. It's natural. He wants to go into big spaces. He sees a space, he wants to run through it. It's just natural for him. 
And that's not what we're doing at the moment. We're a bit more controlled. We run yards, we slow down, we commit people, then we pop it, then we go around the other side and we manipulate it. And so he doesn't look right. Didn't mean he can't play. Didn't mean there won't be a game for him. You know, I think both, a teeny less so this year because he hasn't played as much. Injuries have been an issue. But Smith Rowe, mate, I've said it before, Elliot, haven't we? The future of his football is in the gym, what he does body-wise. If he gets his body mm. rise, there's nothing to tell him in his brain or in his feet. It's all about his physical fitness and shape and getting in the right robust shape to play every three days. And he's not near it at the moment. He's not close. Mm. And he needs to be given time to allow himself to get to that physical level. And if he does, there'll be nothing we can say about his game. Nothing. Because he can do it all. You know, he's got the personality as well. But his body has let him down for a long time now. And we have to be really, really patient. And I hope, for his sake, and I don't know enough about this, but I hope he's showing the right sort of work ethic off the pitch to get back to the right level of shape. Because I hear people talking about Gabriel Jesus coming back. And I hear people talk about Granit Xhaka when he was injured. I mean, literally when he injured his knee a couple a year or so ago, the very next day he was in the gym doing arm weights. And he had he had yeah. his knee in a, in a, in a brace. Right? Um, the same for El Nelly when he was coming back. He broke world records to come back with his knee injury. I want to mm. see those sort of same pictures coming out for Smith Rowe. And I'm not seeing them. Right, so I'm hoping beyond hope that he's putting the work in because if he's not, he won't make it. Because one thing you can yeah. see at the club, it doesn't matter what I think or what anyone thinks, it doesn't matter. Just open your eyes and look. And if you can tell me the standards at Arsenal are dropping, you're not looking closely. The standards mm -hmm. are increasing and they're increasing all the time. They, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, people say I say this all the time. I always say, I'm telling you, mate. <laughs> but anyway, I'm telling you, mate, <laughs> the standards are, are going up and the manager's not done. He's not done. He's going to raise it again in the summer. And he's going to raise our expectations. Whatever happens, we're going again. Just look, look what's happening here. And not everyone's going to come on the boat, mate, because they can't raise with the standards as they're going. Not everyone's going to make it. And we're going to have to make those, those decisions will be made just, just by natural, just naturally they'll be made. Yeah. I, I think um, it it's, it's difficult because one of the things about standards coming up and team getting better is more is demanded of players. Talent level goes up and players you really like may find that they can't go where the group is going. And that, you know, that's just life, unfortunately. And you, you can't be sad about it because being sad about it means you don't want the level to get there, right? You want the level to get there. You want, like, you know, you can love Eddie Nketiah. Leo Trossard's there banging down the door trying to get his place. And guess what? Gabby Jesus is coming back to bang down the door and get both of their places. And then Trossard's going to try to get Martinelli's place, right? And they, But that's a brilliant thing. And Thomas Party coming on at halftime, granted, again, Jorginho was, was not well from, from what you mentioned, but like, He's there saying, all right, I know Jorginho's a hell of a player, but, you know, I've got a little something extra for you. And th that's brilliant. You know, Tomiyasu and White battling for a position where either of them could be starters. Zinchenko, I mean, Tierney is a great touchline fullback. 
Zinchenko has just taken that role and said, I can do something with it you have no hope of doing. It's not because Tierney's not great. It's because our level has just gone to another place. And oh, by the way, that's why we're on this many points at this many games, five points clear at the top of the table. And that's exactly how you get there yeah. by pushing these players. And I do think there's no question in my mind that Smith Rowe has the talent to, to get to that level too. You're right. It's going to take application and it's also going to take a little luck that his body, that his body can, can, can hold up. Um, before we say goodbye, the Bournemouth game on Saturday is going to be fun. We're going to get to see each other. We're going to get to have, you know, I guess maybe one pint is my guess. Maybe I'll go for At a half most, you know, to start with. Maybe a half, a half pint. Yeah. Yeah. Half. yeah. Yeah. Half pint. Just, look, any more than a half pint of Jaeger is probably too much. So <laughs> we, maybe we should stick with that. Um, <laughs> Mate, I'm telling you, the, the guys in the Tollington are not up for halves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we may need to have our wits about us when we get to the ground, but that's beside the point. Um, what I will say is I, I do think that it's going to be interesting seeing how the manager manages the squad because we have Europa League coming back. I don't, I think that the team is so good now and the squad is deep enough now that I don't think you have to just quote unquote punt the Europa League. And if you know anything about Mikel Arteta at this point, he ain't punting anything really or certainly not the Europa League so do you think we might see him ring some changes for Bournemouth because the, the other thing you got to be careful about is fighting complacency what you don't want to do is ring the changes for Bournemouth find yourself one nil down to a counter-attack and goal at halftime and suddenly you're trying to rescue a game that, that should be a banker so what's your what's your thought on how he will now manage this game on Saturday vis-a-vis you know Europa League coming back and, and keeping everybody engaged and everybody fresh and, and at their best I, I think if I'm him, I'm, I'm going pretty strong still. And the, re- the reason why I would do this earlier is because I want the points to continue to c- accumulate because then new stories are written, because people make decisions, right? So we're doing quite well, right? So Leicester didn't have Madison ready for the, the last game against us. But they've got a huge game on Saturday versus Southampton, and he'll be back for that game. And so they've made a decision, potentially, I may not be factually correct there, but you're not rushing him back for Arsenal because Southampton, half five on Saturday, is huge for the future of that club. Can I just say one thing on that? Because that's mm-hmm. a brilliant point you made. Brilliant point. And it, it comes back to my statement of intent comment. If Let's say Bournemouth has a player that's on the edge of fitness. Yeah. They're going to look at what we just did to Everton and say, we can't win this Arsenal game. Let's save him for the Let's next save game. Him and for when the next you look game. that good, your opposition maybe your opposition maybe sees that game as the one that you punt, right? Because <laughs> exactly. you, you can't win it. They make yeah. decisions. They make decisions based on what you're doing, how you're playing. And as you say, you win it in their minds, you win it in a tunnel, in but it's not really the tunnel, you win it by your previous actions. You know, do you know what I mean? Yep. And um yep. so I think that's definitely the way we're we're heading towards. So I think as we all know, because we all consume everything, there is the game and there is the story around the game. The story around Arsenal is they're not sure we can last the course. So let's focus on the course, the very next step in the course. Don't start to manipulate. Spurs changed their team in the FA Cup this week and got knocked out of the FA Cup. They haven't won a trophy since I had an afro. It's ridiculous, right? So... <laughs> So basically, what are you doing? What are you doing? Just focus on the next thing in front of you. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Right? So so let's focus on the next thing in front of us. Let's focus on creating these points. Let's force a situation at some point where Man City have got a big Champions League game and they've got a, they're saying, you know what? 
Arsenal are still six, seven points ahead of us. We're going to make a decision to really go for the Champions League. You know, let's force that decision by the points gap that we have. Let's not encourage anybody into us. You know, nobody getting caught. We've got 11 points in May night. I think we've got a, they've got a game in hand on us. I think by next time they play a league game, we might have 14 points on them. Let's just make them think they can't get anywhere near us. Let's just shut the door on these teams. Lock them out. Shut the door. You don't get that by arresting people unnecessarily unless they're at, unless they're at a risk, you know. But again, five subs, what does it allow, Elliot? It allows rotation within game and resting within game. And that's really important. I will say, I think the five-sub thing, this is where it really comes in handy because you say, you know what? You, you can literally change half the outfield players. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can I mean, look, we changed Jorginho at halftime and we still had four subs in our pocket, yeah. right? So you could, I mean, look, I don't want to get o- over my ski tips here and predict things that get ridiculous, but if you have a two-goal ha- halftime lead again on Saturday, right, and you feel good, you could say, all right, Bukayo, that's it for you today. Yeah. You know, that that's it. Smith Rowe's coming in. And at 50 minutes, you could say, that's it, Thomas. Jorginho comes in. And at 60 yeah. minutes, you could say, that's it, Zinchenko. And, like, you can really share the game in such a way that it doesn't feel as taxing. And then you can do the same thing on Thursday. So yeah. it does give you that that flexibility. Look, I'm, I'm so excited to see you, as I always am, uh, but very excited to see you and, and share another special occasion on Saturday. See everybody who's out and able to share that occasion with us. I'm very excited to share the details of uh, this week. So th- over on Patreon, there'll be a a Lester away day sort of travelogue that'll come out. Cool. Um, because I think there are people, you know, and I know many of you listening say, Oh, you know, you're, what are you an ultra now? Like there are people that don't get to have that experience. <laughs> uh, first of all, yes, I am an ultra. I was wearing all black for the away day. Um, so I, I'm basically Ashburton army now. Um, but there are people that haven't had the chance to have that experience. I never had up until that day. And so I do want to have the chance to kind of share it with people mm-hmm. as someone who, who got to experience it for the first time. And then this trip where I was this week, um, in the next few weeks, uh, we'll be able to sort of sh- share that with you. And I think, again, I, I, I can only say it this way. This club is a special, special family that takes very seriously the responsibility it has to the people that love it around the world. And I'm, I couldn't be more proud. So very, yeah. very excited to talk about that. Let's, uh, let's and I can concur there. with that this week, especially, yeah. but I won't say too much, but yeah. you know what I mean. No, so, yeah, I do. I do, and obviously love to you, my friend. Uh, so let's let's leave it there. Um, Paul and Tim will obviously be back. We'll have an instant reaction on Saturday. I imagine that what Clive and I will do is record something from the ground, and then uh, Paul will give and, – and maybe actually we can do that with Tim. We'll all try to hook up together, and Paul will give us something with maybe um, Phil or Lewis or you know, whoever's, on, whoever's tap, Scott, obviously. Um, and and we'll, we'll definitely have stuff out for you as usual. So thank you. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith. Block me on Twitter at Yank Gunner. Uh, we really love you, by the way. When we say that, like, we really love you. And and whenever you know we get the chance to see you and, and anyone who we get to see, uh, what a what a great group. So yeah, just filled filled with good vibes right now. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal ten. Born with you.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.